This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. I told you this was going to be all news this hour, and we are far from over. Let me remind you, our question of the week is up. Great responses thus far. I'd love to hear from you. In the Market with JanetParshall.org. And right underneath the question is this month's truth tool. Put it in your backpack for a gift of any size, and you're supporting the work of In the Market with Janet Parshall. And if you don't like the Internet, I can't blame you. 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58. I want to give you a sneak peek. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking to two people who are behind a film called The Return to the Hiding Place. Now, show of hands. How many of you saw The Hiding Place, right? Yeah, who wasn't profoundly impacted by that story? And then you think to yourself, if you were living under a totalitarian regime, would you be willing to say no to the government and yes to God, even if you knew it might cost you your life? That's a tough question. And I used to think that was the stuff of novels or maybe a biography I'd read as a kid in junior high. But I thought, nah, nah, most of us will never be asked to do that. Well, the more we study history, the more we realize that that they may come when you and I might have to say, yes, Lord, even if it means we lose our life in the process. And that's why out of all the books that Joel Rosenberg has written, I think one that resonates, and it's hard to say, it's like, you know, what's your favorite dessert, okay? Who doesn't like desserts? But I have to tell you, The Auschwitz Escape is probably one of the most thrilling for me because it's this precious jewel of history that if Joel hadn't found out about it and put it in his book, I don't know Even though he writes novels and he writes fabulous nonfiction, but even though he writes novels, it still causes you to roll up your sleeves and say there's the genesis of this is real history. Well, it's good to catch Joel whenever I can because he's got stamps all over his passport and he's traveling hither and yon. And he's back from France, which ties in perfectly to his book, The Auschwitz Escape, because he's got some amazing stories of what he saw and heard there. And the joy of Christian radio is now we get to benefit from what he saw and what we what he heard. New York Times bestselling author Joel Rosenberg, it's always a delight to have you with us. I can't wait to hear about your trip to France. Bonjour. How are you, Dan? It's good to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm well. <laughs> you went you to this what? little I, town. I, you have to. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you have to tell us about this little town that you went to in France. And first, no, let me, don't do that first. I have a different question. Okay. How did you discover this bit of history? That I mean, it's one thing to go to this little town, but you had to know what was in this town and what made it significant. How did you discover that in the first place? Yeah, you know, what's interesting, Janet, is that I wrote the first draft of uh, the Auschwitz Escape um, by last summer, and I was traveling over to Israel. I wanted to go do research at Yad Vashem, uh, the main uh, Holocaust memorial and research center in the whole world. It's based in Jerusalem, as you know. You've been there. So, Mm -hmm. but as I was going through what, (laughs) the reason I went was mainly to ask them to, to help me understand these four Jewish men that really had escaped uh, from Auschwitz in the spring of 1944, because three of the four scholars I met with knew these men. They knew Mm -hmm. him personally. They had interviewed him. Um, They've all passed away since. But So that's the reason I went. But while I was there, I I realized something. I realized that my story um, that was rooted in in these true stories of these men escaping, that part turned out to be pretty solid. <clears throat> As I met with these men, I got a sense that, okay, I, I sort of, I think I understand the dynamic and I'm getting the specifics right. And even though I'm writing a fictionalized version of it, I think it's true to the story and it will drive people in the right direction. But what I felt as I, as I left there, uh, Janet, was that my story arc, my narrative arc of the Christian in my novel, the Christian pastor, 
needed what was not was not right. I had a German pastor, a young German pastor, who was a, a disciple of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the first draft of the Auschwitz Escape, and I had been mm. deeply influenced by Eric Metaxas's book, um, his actual biography of uh, of Bonhoeffer, which is just extraordinary. But when I was at Yad Vashem, what I learned is that German pastors were arrested. Uh, as part of the Confessing Church for preaching the gospel under the Nazi regime and for caring for Jews. But none of them were sent to Auschwitz. Why? Because Germans weren't sent to Auschwitz. Uh, They were sent to uh, Dachau and other German concentration camps. Well, I had a problem because I'd just written a whole novel where this was sort of rooted and this person is sent to Auschwitz. Well, you could say, well, it's fiction, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but to me, it had to, it had to be based on truth so someone could, you know, could then go follow the real story and say, were there people who really did stuff like this? So I came home and felt a little discouraged. Um, but what I decided to do was research and find out, all right, where, where were pastors in Europe arrested for saving Jews and sent to places like Auschwitz? And that's where I began to do my research, and I came upon, upon this little French town called Le Chambon sur Lignon. It's a town on the Lignon River, up in the high mountains of, um, of France. And this little town of 3,000 Protestant Calvinist Christians ended up saving more than 5,000 people during the Holocaust, most of whom were Jews. And all of their Protestant pastors were arrested. All of them were sent to concentration camps. Some of them were released, but some of them were murdered by the Nazis. And once I found out that that was a true story, I thought, okay, now I know what to do. I'm going to change the whole uh, narrative arc of my German pastor. I'm going to make him French. I'm going to make him from this town. So that people like you will ask me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what's this town? We're, we never heard of it. What, is, that, is that true? Did people really save Jews like this because of their love for Christ? And that's what drove me to go to Le Chambon sur Lignon um, this past weekend. Wow, wow. Joel, when you were there, were there any residents of this town that knew this story? Absolutely. In fact, uh, there's a museum uh, there now. Um, for many years, the, the people who did this actual work, where they rescued all these Jews, didn't talk about it. I mean, for decades, they didn't talk about it. You say, well, why didn't they talk about it? Because the very character of hum- humble servanthood um, that caused them to do this in the first place, to rescue Jews and not talk about it during the Nazi era, was the same humility that they continued on with as farmers. Like, we're not going to talk about it. We, we just did what we had to do. But eventually, the state of Israel uh, did the research and figured out what this town was all about and honored every single person in Le Chambon with righteous Gentile status, righteous among the nations. They honored every single person in this town for rescuing Jews when it was at the risk of their own lives. And so that's where you know, you begin to track this all down and find out who are these people. But, and, and now they talk about it amongst themselves. I visited the church where the, past, the main pastor, Andre Trochme, uh, was, was the preacher. And he, it 
it's an amazing store. I met people who really were there at that time, who, who mm. studied under that pastor, who were discipled by that pastor. One man, Gabriel, 90 years old now, lives <laughs> right oh, behind wow. the church. And I, my, my friends and I spent time with this man. Now, his story was interesting because he was a disciple under uh, the pastor Trochme, but in the end, he didn't want to take the approach of just rescuing Jews and, um, you know, and, 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 and protecting them. He, he did, but he felt at 18 years old he had to go fight the Nazis for what they were doing. And the pastor was a nonviolent uh, pacifist who, who believed in the strength of the gospel to protect Jews, but not to fight. That was, his, that was the pastor's conviction, and, and it was the conviction of most of the people in the town, which is why their approach to the Holocaust was to protect Jews. That was their act of, of defiance against you know, the Nazis and, and faith in Christ. But this young man wanted to go fight the Nazis, and he joined the resistance, was wounded twice, but the pastor really had, they really had a falling out for a while because they had two very different ways of approaching the Nazis. But what an interesting man. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I went to his home and uh, met, saw his medals and heard his story. It was amazing. Wow. wow. Unbelievable. So it, it really does beg the question, and that is, you know, there were some nations, and we go to the, what used to be called the Netherlands, and this sort of idea of kind of neutrality, and yet there was the character that was present by the Ten Boon family. What was the catalyst for these pastors in this town, as well as some residents, um, to rescue these thousands of Jews? In other words, was this a declaration of their faith? Was it a personal conviction? Was it the fact that there was some tangential connection with the Jewish community? In other words, there has to be some genesis for making a choice that comes with very high risk. Had you figured that out? Exactly. And, and that's what I went there to ask. I, I, I'd read as much as I could, but you had to kind of go and just meet these people. And the, the, the very simple answer is they have a deep conviction that Jesus is the Savior of the Jewish people, the Jews mm. are the chosen people, that God loves them whether the Jewish person in front of them believes in Jesus or not, and that when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he didn't say love your neighbor unless the neighbor doesn't love me. Uh, and, and when Paul says, do good to all men, in Galatians 6, he really means do good to all men, even people who disagree with you theologically. Yes, yes. And so you, you keep asking these people and their descendants, and, well, yeah, okay, but what about the risk? They said, yeah, but the, what risk? I mean, we were going to stand before Jesus one day, what we were supposed to say. No, we're not going to mm, do what you mm, told us to do. Mm, yeah, but wow. well, you could have been killed. Yeah, but we could have been killed anyway. Are we going to do, yeah. be killed for what's doing right or for, or for shrinking in fear and trying to cower? And So it was really an extraordinary thing. Uh, we even went to the house where 19 people were arrested, six of whom were Jews, young boys. And oh. this, uh, and, but the pastor of that home, that boy's home, refused to be released. He went to his death um, in one of the concentration camps to defend these boys. Amazing stories. Unbelievable. So he writes fiction, The Auschwitz Escape, but you can hear the truth behind the story. I'm so glad we still have time with Joel Rosenberg. More after this.
am so aware of how much you all love hearing from Joel Rosenberg. He's just a man of God. You know, it's so interesting because you think of the places God has called him. He's been an advisor to people like Rush Limbaugh and Benjamin Netanyahu and Stephen Forbes. And he's a voice that was sought out on the Hill because he knows how to shape ideas, as you can tell. Even if you've never read any of his writings, you know that this is a man who thinks critically, but he also thinks biblically. And I have watched this this marvelous move in Joel's life where now, more than anything else, he wants to tell the world about Jesus. Yep. He understands what's going on in the world, but he knows that the world needs Jesus. And I just, it's been thrilling to see how this just flows out of Joel in his speaking and in his writing. And oh, that I could have been in the suitcase and jumped out when you had to speak in this little French town, Joel. If I was sitting in the audience, what would you have been telling those people? Well, it was so interesting to come to this little town and and to to meet these folks. Um, uh, Most of the people that were there uh, at the time, the 1940s, they have passed. They've gone on to be with the Lord, but their their sons and daughters and grandchildren are there in that town today. And I I came. I said, "Listen, you don't know me. You've never heard of me, but I've heard of you. And mm-hmm. God has told mm-hmm. me to to tell your families and towns stories to the whole world about what God did when followers of Jesus Christ actually believed." in the Word of God enough to rescue Jewish people selflessly at great risk and danger to your own lives. And I've just come to meet you and to hear more of your stories and to continue to tell your story uh, wherever God opens the door. And it was amazing. I, I had a chance to present a copy of the Auschwitz escape to the pastor, the evangelical pastor in the town, uh, to the director of the museum that now honors mm-hmm. these folks. I went to the train station where these Jews came in and were, were welcomed by the town. To, uh, you know, it was, I, it was one of the most amazing weekends. Plus, you've got to know, Janet, the French food in this town was just <laughs> out of this world. If I was a Jew running, uh, that's where I'd go. Um, you know, you've got Christian love, and you're up in the farm. And French good, food. Uh, and French food. You, who wouldn't go there? Um, exactly. <laughs> it was a wonderful, they were very kind, and, and, and wow. uh, it's a very sweet story. Uh, I have two things I want to ask. Number one, let me go back to Yad Vashem. If I'm walking through the Avenue of the Righteous, am I going to see trees planted in memory of any of these people? Yes, you are. Uh, uh, wow. Pastor Andre wow. Chokme, uh, it's his, um, and his wife Magda, and his uh, nephew Daniel, it's the story we just left after the break. Daniel was actually running a boys' school and he was running a boy's home for 19—it happened to be at that time there were 19 Jewish boys in the house when the Gestapo burst in in 1943 and arrested them all. It turns out six of them were Jewish, and so those six were sent to Auschwitz, and they were murdered. And uh, this Daniel, who was a strong believer, he was being told as the raid was in motion— Look, you don't have to go. You know, we don't like what you're doing, but, you know, you don't. And he said, no, I, I'm their shepherd. I'm not leaving my sheep. He, he actually wasn't sent to Auschwitz. He was sent to a concentration called um, Majdanek, but he was murdered there, and he never came out. Um, he gave up his life um, trying to defend these boys and to love them and give them a, uh, a safe place and a Christian place to live. Um, it's the only story, um, actually several others were, were, of the leaders were murdered as well, but, but that story 
was not even told by the town from even much longer than the good stories because they were ashamed that any of their sheep, as it were, had mm. had had been stolen from them by the Nazis. It was, you know, as, as as heroic as they were, they don't see themselves as heroic. They see themselves, honestly, just farming. They're not trying to tell their story. They just they just said, listen, you know, this is what God called us to do, and we did it. And, it, and it's interesting, you asked another question about, um, you know, what kind of the roots. They weren't just protecting Jews. Uh, they had protected other immigrants in the past. And remember, these are Protestant Christians. They're Huguenots in France, which is mostly Catholic. And their mm-hmm. their roots are having been persecuted um, to not even be allowed um, by the kings of France to, to own a Bible, print a Bible, preach the gospel, and to baptize their children. Um, that was very interesting. There's a museum not, you know, maybe a couple hours from there that we went to, this pastor friend and I, called the, the uh, Museum of the Desert. These Christians, these Huguenot Christians, um, they felt like they were like the children of Israel being persecuted uh, by the Egyptians when the French kings were trying to, to, to stamp them out for the Bible. And I got to, I'll post pictures over the next few days uh, on my blog and to write some of these stories. But I, I saw pictures of, of, um, of Bibles that had been, you know, smuggled out by these Christians. So their heritage um, of this town goes very deep in men, in men and women standing on the Word of God, standing for Christ against persecution. So they yes. identified with the Jews, not just generically, but they had really felt the Old Testament story was very much their own as Christians being persecuted in a world that hated them. And I have to say one other thing, Janet, is that I really feel darkness is falling again yes, around the world, yes. but particularly in Europe. Jews are beginning to flee France. Anti-Semitism is rising rapidly, attacks against Jews. And I said to these folks in this town, listen, you're, you're, the, the story that God wrote through your parents and grandparents is extraordinary. But I think there's a new chapter about to be written, and I call you in the name of Christ to be ready to stand again for for the Lord Jesus and his word, as well as to care for Jewish people and others who may need your protection uh, as as things get darker and darker in Europe and around the world. Wow. Jill, so interesting, because there's a new report that talks about the rise of anti-Semitism globally. I've got 30 seconds, but I would be remiss if I didn't say not just the rise of anti-Semitism, but for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, there's a darkness as well. What's our takeaway for us right now? Uh, Prayer for the persecuted church and really going deep in the word and saying, Lord, make me ready to stand for you no matter what the cost. No matter how bad things get in the United States, should we implode or around the world as we as we face darkness? Mm. Joel, thank you. Wow. Aus- the Auschwitz Escape. I love, love, love this book so much that to the first five callers, you didn't see this one coming. I know that's why you need to stick around to the end. The first five callers, I'm going to give you a copy of The Auschwitz Escape. 1-877-548-3675. 1-877-548-3675. We're going to give you Joel Rosenberg's latest book. For the rest, check it out at In the Market with JanetParshall.org. Visit Joel's website. Follow him on the blog. Absolutely fabulous. We'll see you next time, friends.